0: Even the word university is coming from the same root than universal. So we need to have the same international global perspective because knowledge is something that should be applicable to to the whole, to the entire humanity. This fourth factor is related to the role of the nationalistic anti-globalization movements that are taking place here and there, everywhere in the world. I think artificial intelligence and the new developments related to technology have two main impacts. The first impact is on the decision making process of students and families. The second impact is, is it is on the, uh, the very design on the enrollment admission system, on the enrollment system.
1: Hello and welcome to EdTech and Pancakes, a podcast by DreamApply about paradigm shifts in education. I'm your host Rasmik Sargassian and in this podcast we will explore the ever-evolving landscape of education with leading experts from around the world. For example, we will speak about international education and digitization of learning. We will discuss evidence-based principles for universities in terms of student enrollment, marketing, finance, and a lot more to help university teams get more done with less effort. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe to EdTech and Pancakes and share this podcast with other people that you feel would benefit from it. My special guest today is Professor Sebastian Brucke, who is a professor at the University of Bayern, as well as the Deputy Rector of Internationalization of the University Professor Bruquet has been consulting European and international institutions in terms of internationalizing higher education. He's also the former executive secretary of the Conference of Spanish Universities, namely the section of internationalization. And Professor Bruque has also published on this topic quite extensively. I recently had the pleasure to read his article on universityworldnews.com called Spanish Internationalization Improving, but long way to go. I can highly recommend this article to our audience or anyone interested in international education. Professor Bruke, thank you so much for making time for this and welcome to the show. Thank you very much.
0: It's my pleasure talking to you and uh, hope this interview can be interesting for the, for the people interested in internationalization of higher education and for the students and staff who might be interested as well in future strategies and in, re, in reshaping strategies related to the sector.
1: Beautiful. Give us a little bit of a background in terms of your experience. And it seems like internationalization of education is such a big topic for you. How did you gravitate to this topic to begin with?
0: Well, I, like you mentioned before, I was the the, the vice president of internationalization of um, at the University of Heino in Spain until uh, June until May two thousand twenty-three until last year, I was working as well as the former executive secretary of the section of internationalization of the Spanish Association of Universities. And I'm, I was and I was extensively participating during my sixteen years of experience in the internationalization of higher education sector. Um, well, in several areas, I, I supported as well some international organizations like the European Parliament and the European Commission and the European and the the Spanish National Agency for for Erasmus, which, um, well, I had the opportunity opportunity to work uh, with them and to obtain insights and to exchange uh, knowledge with my colleagues and with other institutions and with other international national institutions that are related with the strategy and with the overall strategy of internationalization. On top of that, uh, I was able to participate during my career in quite a few exchanges with universities, um, well, uh, almost everywhere, in Europe and uh, in the States, in Latin America, in Asia, um, in in some Australasia countries as well. So I have the opportunity to, to, to talk and to learn and to yeah, and to participate in many international uh, events related to the well, to the covering uh, structure and to the future trends of the internationalization of this sector, which for me is really uh, amazing, It's uh, really interesting, and it's going to be a subject to new forces that they are going to shape the the future and the and the and the present of of the sector that is currently taking more and more attention from an economic, from an educational, and from a social point of view.
1: Excellent. You came highly recommended, uh, so we knew you were the right person to speak to. Let's begin from general to specific, and this may be a bit of an obvious question to some, but what is the deeper meaning of international education? Why should universities seek to internationalize their process and themselves? Or potentially, what are some of the motivations that perhaps aren't so discussed or obvious? Hmm.
0: Well, that's a very good question. That's a very good question, and maybe it's not that simple to answer. Well, internationalization, I think, is a multiple factor for uh, reshaping and renovating the structure of the universities and the structure of the higher education sector overall. So, the motivations to work for internationalization are not unique. so we can find different different motivations related to internationalization. Maybe one of the factors is um, is, is the most important one that is uh, internationalization is currently is something that is needed in order to survive in order to for the, in order for for the higher education institution to to survive. Because otherwise, uh, if they don't internationalize themselves, if they don't internationalize their curricula or the, the staff or the students' body, they are not able to adapt themselves to the changes they have uh, in the society and the economy. So I think it's, a, it's something as it's a force that is absolutely needed in order to maintain, in order to provide higher education institutions, whether public or private, there is no distinction here to be in the sector and to maintain them in the sector. So it's something that is uh, claimed and that is requested as well for the decision makers in the public sector and for the students and the families as well in the private sectors, sector because they think that internationalization is going to be absolutely necessary for the education of their families and education of their boys and girls that are uh, Approaching to the university as a bachelor of students in the first hand, and therefore, as well for students that maybe they are already professionals working for master and doctoral degrees. So, first thing, internationalization is something that, be, that beca- became uh, obligatory or became such as a kind of uh, needed strategy that is absolutely needed in order for the companies, in order for the universities whether public or private, to be in the sector and to keep them in the sector. The second thing, internationalization is something that is very connected to the internationalization of the economies. So the internationalization is something that it was created, um, maybe in the in the concept of the university itself from the very beginning. So we know that the, in the past 3,000 years, so we, we have had uh, these kinds of higher education everywhere, in you know, all around the world um normally in the in the form of universities from the um, uh, medieval centuries and from the medieval ages but uh, after that in the case or in the form of liberal universal universal institutions that were approaching and they were approaching knowledge from a universal international worldwide point of view so the comparison of international knowledge and the comparison with uh, among sources of national and international knowledge was in the very nature of the university itself. So we have to take into consideration given that even the word university is coming from the same root than universal. So we need to have the same international global perspective because knowledge is something that is should be applicable to to the whole to the entire humanity. So universities is something that is connected to internationalization, that is connected to worldwide actions from the very beginning. What is true is that in the, la- in the late, in the last maybe uh, three decades, or even four decades, the internationalization trends uh, increased a lot. After the 60s, uh, due to the internationalization of science, um the decision makers at the level of the universities and the level of higher education so they decided uh, that they decided that even more now than ever uh since science should be universal and science should should be international by, na- by nature the training and it, maybe that was the big change training should be universal and should be worldwide and should be international as well so the big leap that happened in the 70s and in the 70s of the 19th century, of the 20th century, sorry, and the 80s of the uh, 20th century uh, was really impressive regarding the internationalization of uh, internationalization the, or the internationalization of higher education and the internationalization of the universities. It was at the second time that the second force took place. The second force uh, was the real uh, internationalization and uh, universalization of higher education due to um, the fall of the two blocks that were dominating um, maybe the the dynamics of the economy and the dynamics of the international politics that was, uh, well, the the Soviet side on one side until the end of the 80s and the the liberal uh, Western democracies on the other side. So uh, everything was changed in the 80s and the 90s. These dynamics of uh, liberal countries in the West uh, against the the Soviet bloc in the East uh, fell down and it was uh, destroyed and replaced by a new reality uh, politically and economically and this uh, increased uh, very much the, the the global trends for internationalization as a kinds of internationalization revolution that took took place in the eighties and the nineties and in the two two thousands as well. Um, we are now in a third situation in which we are shaping new trends as well as new forces and this new situation it has two, two different kind of sources and two different kind of forces that are affecting the higher education um, uh, situation and framework the moment the first one is that maybe we don't have now the two blocks the soviet versus the western democratic liberal um, economies or nations uh, on the west, but now we have a new force that is uh, these these restrictions to liberal uh, the liberal tradition, liberal democratic way of uh, understanding the world in the Western that now is retaliated by the situation that is happening, for example, in Russia, or that is happening, for example, in China, in which there is a strong uh, control of uh, the government on the higher education institutions as well. But at the same time, uh, many of them, they are still competing at the international arena. They are still competing in the international field. And they are competing not only in the field of education, but they are competing fiercely internationally in the field of uh, the way they attract international students, they attract international students, and they produce international science. So, well, overall, uh, we can we can say that, uh, um again, uh, now and in taking into account all the forces that are affecting the future, we can have now three aspects that should be taken into account to explain what is international existing. The first thing is uh, that uh, the global knowledge, global science, and the global interchange of uh, students and knowledge and staff as well is even is now even more important than ever. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is that we have new forces and new factors affecting the international field that should be taken into consideration in order to understand what is uh, the future, and what, uh, what what is going to be the route that will be develop, developed in the future for the international higher education institutions. So for me, we are now in a changing point, in a changing um, stage of the history of internationalization of higher education. That will provide the shape of our field in the next few years. And maybe is more, even more exciting than ever. For me, it's uh, comparable to the late eighties or to the beginning of the nineties, uh, because we are, uh, we are approaching to a situation in which uh, economic and political and social factors uh, is merging with the effect of technological factors at the same time that that will revolutionize the way we approach uh, education, the university, and the concept of the university itself, and how the university will be adapted to these forces in the next next few years.
1: Wow, thank you so much, Professor Buque, for such a comprehensive answer. As someone who has benefited from international education, I mean, this was an important topic for you, but just to hear you speak about all these wider implications, I mean, it's huge. I want to ask you this. the first when I hear about internationalizing a university, the first thing that comes to mind is international applicants, international faculty, potentially the curriculum, so that so that the students can compete internationally. But what are the what would you consider the pillars of internationalizing university? And if a university wants to start internationalizing, would you kind of prioritize one pillar or over the other?
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's another very interesting question as well because it's not a simple question to be answered and therefore we have to take into consider several pillars and, or several factors working at the same time let's let's go step by step and talking about the pillars the in the beginning. So in my opinion the first pillar for internationalization is uh, the freedom of movement or the of the most important factors we have that is basically free. The first one is the freedom of move, movement of uh, students itself. So obviously, if we don't have uh, this kind of on-site mobility that can be, a, of course, and added and uh, help it out or, or supported by uh, online mobility. But if we don't have and we if we don't keep this kind of international mobility for students, uh, there is no internationalization of. Uh, of the education of higher education i think the 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 impact of mobility of students that was increasing a lot and has been increasing the health has been increasing a lot during the last 30 years or even 40 years uh, they have to be uh, in the same situation or even they have to be even stronger in the future than it was in the last in the last three decades or four decades why because um, Maybe we can talk about that later on, but we cannot have an internationalization of higher education if we haven't if we if we don't keep the mobility of the most important resource and the most important raw material we have in higher education, which is the student body. So we can add other things, we can include complementary factors for online mobility, for example. Um, that is going to affect uh, a lot as well, and it is going to shape a lot of the future of higher education. But the the mobility of the students is something that should be kept in the same with the same force and with the same uh, parameters that it was uh, growing in the last thirty to forty years. The second thing is the internationalization of the staff and the internationalization of knowledge. So these two things are together: internationalization of staff and knowledge. They should be working together because. Uh, uh, together with the International Association of Mobility for Students, so this is the most important way in order to uh, our institutions to get new, to get new uh, knowledge, to to get new practices, to adapt to to new technological factors, to adapt to new uh, learning capabilities, and we cannot do that if we keep a kind of closed or not connected or not interconnected. Um, staff though so that that is going to be very important not now uh, in our current present moment, but uh, in the future as well. And the third thing that is going to be and we, the third pillar we we have to take into consideration and we have to focus on the future as well, is the role of technology and the impact of uh, cross- sectional digitalization in the way in the world of internationalization of higher education institutions as well. So, uh that is something that is happening at the same time so uh, mobility international mobility and online mobility and site mobility for students and staff they should be shaped and they should be uh, reframed together with the um, analyzing and taking into consideration the impact of technology and the of um, online technologies, but especially as well in the next future, as well the impact of artificial intelligence in the way we make decisions in higher education institutions, and the way students and their families they they make decisions uh, in their in their international um, international scope for when we are looking for a better better chances to study abroad or to the uh, they're looking for to better chances to know. Uh, what is the situation of future curricula and so forth so um and to sum up these are the for me the most important three pillars one mobility of students uh taking into account all forms of the mobility that can be effective currently the second thing is the mobility and the internationalization of the staff which i think is something staff and knowledge which is something that is absolutely necessary uh taking into account as well uh, the benefits and the the leverage that technology can produce in our societies and in our higher education institutions. And the third thing is the role, the pillar of technology as a as a factor that is going to leverage and is going to create new opportunity um, uh, for for, uh, higher education institutions in the future. And it's going to take as well new challenges because uh, we have to to revisit and we have to maybe revamp and to modify what is our current let's say business models or education models that they should be changed according to the impact of these global trends, according to internationalization. And we have to change them according to the impact of the new technologies. There is a fourth factor. The fourth factor is the is another important factor. Maybe it's not a pillar, it's something that is coming from the external environment and it's going to affect the future of higher education. This fourth factor is related, is related to, uh, the role of the nationalistic anti-globalization anti movements that are taking place here and there, everywhere in the world. So currently, the situation in Eastern countries, for example, in some Asian countries as well, and uh, or in the, the situation in Russia, is affecting very negatively the, the traditional view of internationalization of higher education because they are um they are forcing to their institutions there to be more closed, less international, and what is more important, less open to international to international influences coming above all from the Western world. Uh, on the other way around, there are some counter, there are many counter movements as well in the West that uh, they are as well connected to nationalistic forces and maybe to ex- exclusive nationalistic forces that are preventing institutions to uh, be there in the way they uh, conceptualize the future of higher education, and uh, in order, and therefore they are as well forcing universities, higher education institutions, in some cases, uh, to keep much more conservative, let's say, or or closed um, strategies when they try to open themselves to internationalization, uh, because they think that maybe there are some challenges or there are there are some threats in the, the environment, and therefore the higher education institution, they should be um, preserved or they should be protected against these forces coming from uh, other external factors that can be aggressive. Like, for example, um, in some cases, well, some examples, we know that uh, some countries like the UK, they are uh, somehow closing the, the, the doors to international students because they think that that can be a door to uncontrolled uh, immigration, and that's something that's happening as well in some Nordic countries that are, as well, uh, going some uh, years back in their policies related to uh, the incorporation of international students in their in their classrooms because they think that maybe the situation or, or was uh, was uh, under was out of control because of the uh, well, according to some to some decision makers in these com- in these uh, countries. Uh, the number of international students were was growing too much for the international standards they might they might accept. So um, these three pillars of uh, mobility of students, mobility of staff, and knowledge, and third one, mobility of well, the, the role of technology can be uh, accompanied as well by an analysis of the situation of these uh, anti-globalization forces that are taking place in the West and in the East, in the East and the West for different reasons. In some in some cases, because of anti-globalization philosophies and ideology. Uh, in the other way, because um, some Western institutions, they think, or some Western governments as well, they think that this is a way to protect their societies against the international aggressive force that is taking place in other countries. So um, this is a combination that is really Uh, really um, well, strong, and powerful, and we should pay a very careful attention to it.
1: Beautiful. I mean, there was so much in your answers and we could, uh, all of them very fascinating. So we could go into all of it, but just for the sake of delimiting conversations a little bit more, I would love for us to concentrate a little bit in terms of the admissions process. And the mm-hmm. first question I have is, um, as you know, there are national admission systems, so quite a lot of universities need to comply with the systems, sometimes unwillingly, sometimes willingly. What do you think are the advantages and disadvantages of having this type of a solution versus having more autonomous solutions and giving universities more flexibility in terms of the process of admissions to whom, whom to attract and enroll and so forth?
0: Well, again, I appreciate this uh, very much this question, because that's uh, one of the hot topics in many countries currently, Uh, but it's one of the hot topics uh, and maybe the most important topics working currently in my country, which is Spain. Uh, We have currently uh, carried out a research on what is the situation of the international of the admission system for international students in a group of 20 countries uh, all around the world uh, belonging to the OCDE. And so we found that there are, again, differences that are very important. And these differences are shaping the, the way uh, uh, universities uh, carry out internationalization in their respective countries. But only, not only that, it's the way they understand as well that international students and therefore future international staff may affect their productive and economic systems internally. So our results that are very um, that was they were very recent uh, results uh, results show that there are three blocks of, of countries and these three blocks of country well the countries we analyze are within the OECD countries so mostly they are Western countries located in in North America located in Europe and located in some parts of uh, well in Australia and some parts of you know, of Asia as well. Uh, of industrialized Asia, so we found that there are three blocks of countries. The first block of country of countries uh, related to this factor of, of uh, admission um, systems is, is the block in which uh, they have um, decentralized, a totally decentralized system for admission. That is to say that uh, the last word of uh, admission of international students is given to. The universities themselves. So they can create their admission strategy um, practically in a way that is very autonomous, in a way that is very independent. So, in this uh, case, there are countries like, for example, the United States, uh, countries like Canada, like countries like the UK, uh, in which the restrictions are coming mostly from the point of view of the immigration not admission of the students but the immigration to the country which is a different thing this is a separate problem that we can, maybe we can talk about it later on but uh, this kind of decentralized let's say flexible system systems in which the autonomy for admission is given practically 100 to their to to the universities is confronted to another system uh, in which this included countries mostly continental big uh, countries uh, of uh, continental Europe, like, for example, France, for example, Italy, for example, Spain. In these countries, we have a system that is a bit of a mixture in which there is a national centralized admission system normally related to a exam or normally related to a test uh, about a knowledge of, um, or that is, uh, they are trying to, to measure the the, or to assess the overall knowledge uh, candidates coming from the secondary education may have or should have in order to be admitted in higher education institutions. And therefore, in many cases, they have a national exams, a national entrance or admission e- e- exam. Uh, in this uh, situation, there are countries like, for example, France, Italy or Spain or Portugal. But at the same time, they included several or quite a few exceptions by which universities can be um, autonomous or maybe they can decide at a, certain, at a certain point what kind of students they would like to accept. And especially in degrees that are not subject to a big, a very big social demand internally, like for example, medicine or, or health sciences. In these cases, the admission system is very centralized, is very closed. And uh, in this case of health sciences, for example, in Spain or in France or in Italy, um, the, the admission system is very restricted for international students um, because they are restricting a lot the possibilities of entrance of international students Even if they are very good if they are not or if they are not challenged through this national system, admission system in the respective countries. So uh, in France, uh, in Portugal, in Spain or in Italy, uh, so we have uh, the universities at the central level of autonomy in which they can make decisions about what the students they would like to accept, but provided the provided that uh, the degrees the, the students are intending to 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 get access, uh, they are not a, let's say a big um, a big demand sector or a big demand um, a big demand degree. Uh, so in such cases, the the system is very centralized, and normally the barriers to enter to international students are mostly unpenetrable. So that's the situation there. A specific case is Germany. In Germany, the admission system is very centralised and therefore all international students, they have to take exam and higher prior course as well in order to get access to the national education, higher education system. But what is interesting in Germany as well is that once the students go through this channel, they have many opportunities to get financial support. And another thing that is very important is that normally... International higher education for students in Germany is free for international students as well. So they have a big, let's say, barrier of, of entry, but they have many incentives for the students once they are inside because they they get grants and they get a scholarship, and at the same time they have a big support from the state for their higher education institution, from, from their, uh, their higher education institution, from the states in order to plan, in, in order to get support support for their future for the future studies. So. Again, these are the three blocks. Let's say in one block is the Anglo-Saxon countries, mostly in which the, um, the opportunities for entry in their current national, in their national system are this very high. Uh, on the other hand, they have a, uh, let's say a very high um, tuition fee policy. So maybe the the barrier of entry here is not academic, but is uh, mostly economic so because the, the tuition fee normally is very high for international students we have the second group of uh, countries is the countries that normally they are continental european european countries in which they have a kind of um, mixed system in which they have they provide or they have a big academic barrier of entry uh, in the form of an exam of a centralized national exam for for the students intending to 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 get entrance in the in the system, and we have well finally the case of Germany, which they have a very big, strong, maybe let's say difficult uh, barrier of entry to of entry to to get um, to get uh, entrance to this uh, system. But at the same time, they have a very exhaustive and a very effective system to help students in order to get financial support or get uh, grants and scholarships that uh, can improve very and prove very useful in order to keep them in the uh, well in the higher education in a for a successful way for their future years to come. So yeah, so that's a, a topic that is very interesting. Um, especially for countries in continental Europe, I think they have to rethink what is the what is the system they are applying to international students. Uh, because in many cases they are losing thousands of international students that can be very talented and can be providing value to the local and to the national societies but at the end they they don't come to these uh, countries because they have this kind of very big barrier of entry for them Um, but at the same time they have economical conditions and they have social conditions that are supporting the students once they are within or uh, while they are inside the the system so uh, let's say that these two blocks are um, confronting each other because on the one side we have kind of flexible uh, adaptable and quick uh, system for admission in some places but uh, for a big price and on the other hand we have uh, low prices low tuition fees that can be very attractive and appealing to international students, together with a generous um, uh, supply of, um, of grants and financial support, but at the same time with a big barrier of entry that is related to this kind of uh, national centralized exams. So I think many countries in Europe and many countries as well in other places, like for example in Latin America and some places in Asia as well, they have to revisit and they reformulate. The international strategy for admission for international students, because uh, this is preventing that uh, well national universities to have a higher level of internationalization, according to international degrees between students, and therefore this is affecting as well the situation of the local economies, because if we don't get students now, we won't have taxpayers in the future, and therefore we won't have. Feature labor force that is uh, very effective and very motivated to stay in the country and therefore to produce economic benefit for the countries in the future. So I think that would be a very good investment, a medium to long range investment for these kinds of countries, let's say continental European countries, to revisit and to reformulate their strategies to attract international students because now the barriers of entry for them they are too high they are too complicated and it's preventing the demographic and the economic renovation of these countries especially in, europe, in continental europe the problems for anglo-saxon countries they are different the problems for them um well the flexible admission system for them is working perfectly is working uh, very effectively but they have other barriers of entry that are related to the financial restrictions they have in the form of very high of fees and very high costs of of living in the respective countries. And this is preventing them maybe. So there is an increase in uh, amount of international students that they might be interested to go to international to traditional, to traditional Anglo-Saxon countries in the past, like for example the United States or Australia or Canada or the UK. Now they would like very much to go there to other countries, for example, continental European countries or even Latin American countries or even some countries in Asia. Uh, But uh, since they have a still a very centralized and sometimes closed system, uh, so it is very difficult for them to finally uh, get involved in these institutions. And therefore, that's an opportunity that the economies and these national and local economies in these countries, in these continental European countries, for example, um, well, they will be harmed because they will—they uh, don't—they won't have the access to the right uh, skill labor sources resources in the future. Since we have the opportunity to incorporate in the system good international students coming from abroad.
1: Thank you so much for sharing this, and indeed, this is an important topic. And for DreamApply, um, this is a very interesting topic. One of the things that we praise ourselves uh, about is uh, actually the system allows universities to enroll 50% more international students. Uh, We can talk about why that is, but uh, essentially there are almost no universities or admissions teams that we speak with that aren't interested in implementing it. Therefore, we are interested in how much space they actually have to carry this out. And like uh, some of the examples you've mentioned in Germany, it seems like there is less limitation on private universities. So one of our partners, uh, SRH Higher Education, they have significantly increased their international uh, applicants. Which brings me to my next question. What do you think is the role of technological innovation in terms of internationalizing education? And how can universities that are uh, more prone to leveraging these uh, innovations navigate through these types of limitations? Again, in some cases, quite strict, in some cases, a little bit more flexible.
0: Yeah, this is a very interesting question because uh, I think your role, like for example, Dream Apply, the Dream Apply role in the in admission system for international universities and from worldwide um, universities, is that um, while we have a framework for admission that is made of three different challenges or let's say barriers of entry for the national for the respective national systems, the the first one is the legal barriers of entry related to this kind of centralized system for centralized testing for international students and so forth that is some kind of academic legal coming from the internal regulation of the country the second one is the um, uh, financial restrictions the financial restrictions that are applicable mostly to uh, students that are intended that they would like to to study traditional let's say uh, international have uh, like for example, the United States or UK or Australia or other countries in which the most important barriers of entry is the economic or the financial requirements the, the governments, the national governments asked uh, in order for international students to get an approval from the immigration services and, and in order to pay their their bills when they are there because normally the because cost of living is very high and the tuition is very high as well. And the third one is the technological procedural uh, barriers of entry so since you uh, companies like yours uh, cannot do a lot to to break or to try to lower the barriers of entry but that are related to the international the national laws uh, to the uh, national uh, barriers of entry from a point of view the academic requirements the, the the national governments are asking to international students and therefore maybe you can do Mm, very much either in on the financial restrictions related to the cost of living in particular countries like, for example, Australia or the States or or some European countries and so forth because it's something that is imposed by external sources and by external factors. And we cannot do either very much related to the lowering of the tuition fees because that's another... Uh, national and institutional policy that is uh, out, out of our control. So I think your role is very important in the fair group of barriers of entry. This third group of our barriers of entry is the technological, let's say technological slash procedural barriers of entry, in which we international students that are very motivated and maybe have the resources, they have the academic resources, and in many cases, they have as small well financial resources to to get involved or to enroll internationally, they cannot cross the, the barrier because they find, or maybe it's, it's rather complicated to them because they they find that the information, the knowledge that is necessary in order to solve this barrier is uh, dispersed, is not well-structured, maybe switching other languages, is contradictory according to the sources, and um, uh, and as well, in many cases, the procedure for admission in international universities is very complicated as well. It's mixed with regional and, and national platforms for admission. That in some cases they don't work in as a, as a whole platform, and therefore they have to be use, using and utilizing the, these different platforms working at the same moment. That sometimes they are not coherent and they are not cohesive. And they are not uh, working properly, they are not working or matching properly together from one to each other point of the procedure they have to go on in order to get access to the international university. So uh, I think the role like uh, of companies like yours, they have to be very much focused on the this kind of technological barriers or pr- uh, procedure barriers that are related to the complexity, are related to the black post of the, of, the, of the admission system and in many cases taking place in many universities in the world. So, so you have the opportunity to break this barrier and to introduce uh, clarity and transparency in the, in the procedure international students they have to follow and in the organization of the knowledge flows and in information flows that are related to the uh, admission procedure. Uh, obviously, you can provide as well um, a full package of information uh, that is ready as well to the legal, academic side of barriers of entry and to the financial side of the barriers of entry as well. But in those two boxes, you cannot go any farther. Um, you can provide information about the support systems they have and about what are the requirements they have and so forth and structure this information in a very understandable way. But the most important thing is that you can break this technological procedural uh, barrier. But in some cases, maybe it's preventing many international students to understand the admission system in many international universities and therefore they are preventing to, to have final decision, a very positive final decision uh, of, of admission in, in some specific countries. And normally in the countries that they don't have a big experience or they don't, that uh, they they were not leading. The, the international ranking for international admission, like for example, in the United States or Australia or the UK. So, in many small and medium European countries, in many small and medium Latin American countries, many small and medium um, countries in Asia as well, uh, or in big countries as well, in not, let's say, traditional Western Anglo Saxon uh, university systems, you can use uh, or you can try to break. And or to remove these kinds of barrier in a very successful way, and this is the the point in which uh, companies like yours have a very uh, solid strength. So I think you have to take advantage of this position, and to try to evolve and to try to elaborate you know, future solutions in order to be even more effective in the future. So that we can try attract this kind of flows of international students from. Traditional Anglo-Saxon big hubs of international education to other places in which they have very high quality of international education, uh, but they they couldn't take advantage of international flow of students because uh, they have uh, this third barrier that was very high to cross or very high to solve or to remove. So the the great advantage of systems like yours is that you are providing a very effective way to solve or to Uh, remove this one here
1: beautiful these are very helpful pointers thank you so much and i think it's a matter of uh, perhaps one co-creation we we provide solutions both designed for universities but so many of the features actually come from universities so knowing how much time it takes for perhaps a more national centralized system to implement an innovation it's just so much easier for them to present it to us and we solve it quickly so and then they enjoy it and then The second part, I think, is, uh, and again, this is just my personal opinion, but it's a matter of exposure as well, because I think not so many universities imagine just how much you can decrease the time you have to spend on applications, just how much you can make it easy to manage scholarships and rank and all of this. So I think once universities just get a taste of the added efficiency of these types of solutions, then it's just a matter of uh, critical mass. And that's what we're interested in, because we're we want to explore more the deeper implications of this. Again, as you said, it may be uh, a few technological uh, innovations here and there, but then looking at how much this scales and how this is impacting access to education globally. That's huge. And its I think this is what makes our work uh, fascinating. It's, it's quite inspiring. Yeah. So you're right. Basically, I agree with you. And,
0: um... We are, and students and families, they are confronted to innovations in technology here and there, but uh, if you are, have the way and have the right resources in order to, to put everything together and to have something that is making sense altogether, and is uh, um, decreasing the number of resources and the time that uh, decision makers, when they have to take decisions, mostly students and their families, uh, if they have this full range of information and knowledge together in one single source that is going to ease their lives for a lot.
1: Beautiful, thank you so much. Our time is unfortunately not unlimited, but there are a few more questions that I'd love to hear your insights on. Not a fan of hypotheticals, but imagine you are consulting a university that wants to improve its admissions process in terms of attracting more international students. Uh, it, when it comes to the student enrollment process, what are the three things you would advise universities to pay attention to?
0: Again, I
1: would like or I would do
0: this kind of structural analysis of their initial systems. They have to analyze what is their current situation in the three in the three level of the three uh, barriers of entry. They have to analyze the legal barrier of entry they have, the second the financial um, the financial support system they have. And the third one is the technological procedural uh, barrier of entry. Obviously, they cannot do much in the first and the second, but they can provide as well as structured information about the situation of the first and the second, the financial restrictions and the academic restrictions for entry. And they have to focus definitely on the third one. In many cases, they have to focus on how difficult for international students to get access to a platform, in some cases, is just um, um, written or constructed in the national language, or uh, that is very difficult even for national students to get through the platform because it's very complicated with many stages. In many many cases, not transparent enough. So they should focus on the on simplifying what in what I call is a lean structure of the enrollment system. So they have to take uh, out everything that is not adding value to the to the value chain of the enrollment system in their respective institutions, and uh, they should keep just the the, the stages and just the elements that are they are actually providing value to the student when they are uh, trying to get access and they are trying to get enrollment to the international institutions. So they should focus on these technological effects. They have to analyze all these. The, the stages and all the parameters they have involved in the admission system and they have to focus on the activities that are really really providing value to the students while the, they are trying to to get involved or to, to get enrolled in our university itself so in this in this stage it is very important to work together and to kind of co-design the uh, the enrollment system together with the obviously the academic services at the respective universities but uh, Together with external experts, like your company, for example, because they can provide, a, let's say, overall cohesive and coherent uh, structure for the enrollment system that is not easy sometimes to, 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 to get access with the resources we have or we have inside the universities, because sometimes we are in our internal uh, admission system or enrollment system, we are very much focused on the situation we have inside the country. Or with the situation we have for our local traditional students, and therefore we are missing the perspective for for what international students can understand, or what can international students they can expect from from our from our system of admission. So definitely have to analyze. Secondly, uh, strictly going to a to a the point, and the thirdly, the, um, focus on the things that are providing value and create this so called kind of lean enrollment system, which I think is the, is the future of international enrollment and admission systems.
1: This brings us to the last topic I'd like to explore, which is the future of international education. And before recording, we briefly touched upon AI and digitization. So how do you think the future of international education is going to look like, and especially when it comes to the admissions process, how can uh, educational institutions best prepare to these coming changes?
0: Well, this is a very interesting point of view, or this is a very interesting uh, question as well. So I think artificial intelligence and the new developments related to technology, they have two main impacts. They have two main impacts. The first impact is on the decision making process of students and families. The second impact is, is it is on the uh, the very design on the enrollment admission system on the enrollment system so firstly the first uh, impact as i mentioned is the decision making is how um students and their families they will make the decisions uh, regarding international missions or regarding what type of international high education institutions they would like to go and they will, they would like to use not only um, the institution they are looking for, the institution they want to get enrollment, but the type of education as well, because because in some cases um, maybe international students, they want or they are not, they will not be looking anymore to, let's say, establish traditional um, high education institutions to do a traditional bachelor or to do a traditional master or doctoral or PhD degree. But maybe they are more interested in other learning um, models, and therefore business models as well for for universities but that are related maybe to shorter courses. They are related to most focused courses, and therefore they have to make a first decision is what type of model of the learning of international learning I would like to follow, because in some cases they are not going to be interested anymore in doing an international degree or international bachelor years for years. In an international country, or to do a master, one two years, or to do a PhD, three four years in international country, but they are, or they would be, for example, much more interested interested in short courses that are providing very deep insight of a particular topic, or that are uh, cross sectional courses that are taking knowledge from different disciplines at the same time. So in this way, they can decide, for example. Would I like to go for a bachelor or would I like to go to a short course, like a, a micro-credential course, for example, that is going to be providing me with a higher added value in a shorter in a shorter period of time. Uh, so this relationship between the objective to be fulfilled from a learning perspective and the time I need in order to fulfill it is going to be even more than important for students in the future because the um, uh, maturity period for the, the landing product is going to be shortened quite a lot so first thing is the decision what type of education I'd like to go when I when I'm trying to to to, to purchase or when I'm trying to get to international education the second thing is um, well, once I would like to, or I decide to go for a bachelor, or for international master, or for international master degree, what type of institution I would like to to choose? In this uh, decision making process, as well as artificial intelligence or are, are the developments as well to uh, artificial, on to new type of types of intelligence, uh, it's going to it's going to get a much higher importance because. The resources we are and these users might have now, they are much more leveraged resources uh, in the future than now because we can uh, use artificial intelligence in order to provide a multi channel, a multi effective channel in social networks or in YouTube, in video channels, working at the same time together with the information we provide through the websites and from the sites of the university at the same time. So we can create a multi-platform, a multi-platform system in order to get the students, in order to get closer to the decision-making of the students' process in which they are deciding for what type of courses they would like to take. And secondly, the second stage of implementation of artificial intelligence is in the procedure itself. So in this, it is in the enrollment procedure. So how we can leverage, how we can expand, how we can uh, make the, the procedure of uh, international enrollment much more intelligent and much more, uh, much more quick weak or quicker, in order to meet the expectations of the future students in a very uh, effective way. So that's something that has to be analyzed as well by, by companies that on the by institutions, focused on international admissions and international enrollment. And uh, for sure, we want to have enhanced and very much powerful platforms for admissions uh, in the future than we we have been currently.
1: Beautiful. Thank you so much, Professor Bruke. You have shared so many interesting insights and i know for sure that our audience is going to appreciate it a lot is there anything else you'd like to share before we finalize it well i think we talked uh,
0: about the most important trends and um i think we analyzed the, the most important factors the, the the technological factor the socio-legal factor and the academic factor that are affecting the enrollment process uh, so I think we cover most, most of the most most of the key uh, elements in the international mission so far. So I, I think that we have many challenges in the future, and uh, we have to be we have to be ready for them. The three the three elements or the three the three factors or the three agents in the system. The first one is the, is the universities. The second one is students and families, and third one the international platforms like like yours in order to provide a very much uh, logical and efficient way of getting admission to international to international university.
1: Thank you, Professor Brucke. It's been a pleasure to speak with you truly. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning into EdTech and Pancakes. For more resources, make sure to visit dreamapply.com. If you are a university representative looking to optimize your student enrollment, marketing, and other processes, you can book a free demo of DreamApply's application management software and check it out for yourself. This is EdTech and Pancakes. I'm Rasmik Sargassian, and we'll be back with another episode soon. Goodbye.